Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast to help you be the best you can be to grow your business, your relationships and personal life. Our conversations with thought leaders and everyday people will inspire you. My mission is to show how positivity helps us all live a more rewarding and meaningful life. Hello, I'm Robin Stratton-Burkessel, host of Positivity Strategist. Today I'm excited to introduce a new segment to our show. It's called The Positivity Lens. You'll be aware already that I have fabulous guests on a weekly basis who generously share their stories and strategies of positivity. They offer tips and tools that we can model and try on for ourselves to strengthen our own positivity muscle or positivity resonance. So in this new segment, I'll be recommending an activity for us to focus on each week to begin to develop our positivity lens. Now here's an example taken from last week. So in last week's episode 7, which was called Appreciative Inquiry Across Context, Cultures and Generations with Linda Qualls, Linda finished with a beautiful story where she and her husband and two daughters were visiting the spectacular Sheikh Zahed Mosque in Abu Dhabi, the only mosque open to non-Muslims. They'd gone through it in what seems to be the typical tourist fashion, stopping to take a gazillion pictures. And after they'd gone through it, one of her daughters said, Mom, can we go through again, but this time, can we not take any pictures? So we can just appreciate and enjoy the mosque through our own eyes. That was a heart stopper. And by the way, if you want to listen to my conversation with Linda, go to positivitystrategist.com slash PS7. Now, I thought about that all week, Linda's story, and I began to notice how much I relied on my own devices to experience the world. And so I began to choose to use more of my own eyes instead. There was less grabbing of my smartphone all the time or checking emails. I was more consciously practicing being mindful and in the present moment and noticing what was in my immediate environment or the task at hand. This awareness enhanced my appreciation of what was present to me. Now this week's guest is Melissa Schnapp and she has much more to say about mindfulness. I can't wait to hear it. And at the end of our conversation, I'll be setting up this week's Positivity Lens activity for us all. And at the beginning of the show next week, I'll report back on how I did. Over time, I hope you, my listeners, will participate in the week's Positive Lens activities and share your experiences by leaving an e or voicemail on positivitystrategist.com slash voicemail, which we may even play on the show. So let's get going with today's conversation. Today, my lovely guest is Melissa Schnapp. Melissa is founder and president of Life Step Coaching. As a positive life coach, she offers dynamic group presentations and workshops, as well as individually helping people define and create their best lives. Melissa, a very warm welcome to Positivity Strategist. Thank you so much, Rob. So I'm especially excited to have this conversation with you because we met some years ago, if you may remember, in New York at the Appreciative Increase Special Interest Group. And I remember how energized and upbeat you were about Appreciative Increase and positive psychology. 
So much so that you went off to the University of Pennsylvania to do the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology, which is the first master's program to offer an in-depth study of the science of well-being and human flourishing. I was so excited for you. And it's such a great story because it's an, it, to me it's a stellar example of positivity in action. So why don't you start by telling us how you first became aware of positivity? Well, first, thank you again so much for having me. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is positivity. And I'm going to turn the how I first became aware of positivity into more of a why. And why did I become aware of positivity? And I guess it was somewhere back in the 1980s when I was in my 20s and I was feeling a little sad and I was searching for some way to feel better. And I found this book called Learned Optimism by Dr. Dr. Martin Seligman. And at the time he was the American Psychological Association president and he's now known as the father of positive psychology. And I loved that book because that book really showed me that we had a choice in the way we viewed the world. That was really my first glimpse at the power that we had over our emotions and our positivity versus negativity. And I was teaching public school at the Bronx at the time. And I remember where I was standing in the teacher's lunchroom. And I said to one of my colleagues, I told her about the book. And I said to her, what a novel idea. Here I was in my 20s, and I said, not to be beholden to someone else to make us feel happy or feel good about ourselves, that we actually could take charge of our own happiness. And that really kind of began, that was the beginning of my my positivity direction of all of that. And Robbie, I also noticed that the children in my class that were the most successful were the ones who did have a positive attitude and were happy. And I wondered, could this be taught? Can people be taught to be more positive and to feel good about themselves? And I learned that they can. Mm. That's fabulous. We have that in common, the fact that reading learned optimism in the 80s. And Mm -hmm. I just want to jump in and say that I saw Marty Seligman at the Australian Management Institute in Melbourne, Australia in the late 80s. hearing him talk about learned optimism. Mm -hmm. And like you, it was an epiphany. It was, my God, this is just so amazing. Right. And so I also, at that time, when it came out in the 80s, became so so keen to learn more. So this is fabulous. So why don't you you tell us now about how you found out that you can teach people to be more positive? Right. So So after the teaching, and then I went on and I got a master's in special education to understand the needs of my children uh, in my class. And then I had children of my own, and I went on to become a certified life coach. And in the program, I knew that I was going to learn some tools to actually help people to learn uh, strategies and ways that they can get unstuck and move forward in their lives. And that was really a goal of mine. And I, and I did get a lot of that there um, in, in that the, program. In the coaching program, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. 
So maybe you could tell us a little bit more and is there a high point story in this journey for you that's related to positivity and your coaching work that you'd like to share? Uh, Yeah, so there's so many, but one that really stands out in my mind was when I was asked to speak at a sorority at the University of Pennsylvania. And it was a group of young women that were, you know, facing the pressures of college and graduation and the uncertainty of their futures. And I was giving one of my A More Positive You presentations. And as I was, you know, citing a statistic, all of a sudden, in walked Marty Seligman. (laughs) I mean, my mouth (laughs) fell open and I just stopped. And he actually finished the statistic that I was giving. He finished my sentence. (laughs) Hang on, Melissa, I just have to ask something. Did he know that you were speaking on positive psychology? Well, I had sent an email (laughs) the night before just saying, if you happen to be around, I will be at such and such a building at such and such a time. I would love you to see my my work in action. That's exactly what I said. You audacious woman. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. My husband said, that's a little, you know, presumptuous of you to think that he's going to come to your workshop. And I said, you know what? If you don't ask, you know, it'll never happen. So I just put it out there. And sure enough, he did walk in and he wound up staying the entire presentation. And he even came up to me afterwards and said that it was great and that I was a dynamic speaker. And, you know, here I was feeling like unbelievable, you know, Mm -hmm. doing this whole, having this happen to me. And I just, I felt amazing. Amazing. I felt really, really great. Oh, yeah. I bet you walked out of that room with the biggest smile on your face I and did. it probably lasted a long time. Yeah, yeah. I still, when I think about it, mm. you know, we know that positive emotions, you know, just sometimes thinking about them, recalling the, the memories in your mind can make you feel really great. And so I do. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So, you know, in the appreciative inquiry world, when we ask people to share a story that has a that engenders a positive memory for them and they can access their positive emotions. We also ask, as you are aware, what do you value about yourself and that story? Because you facilitated that to happen, right? Yeah. So what is it that you value about yourself specifically in that story? And it's right. probably it goes across a range of stories. Yes, yes. That's absolutely true, Robbie. And and I think that I felt that I was me at my best. Mm -hmm. You know, I was sharing the tools that I had learned to better my own life uh, with these young women. You know, these are our future mothers and leaders in the world. Mm -hmm. And I was sharing with them that they had a choice and that they too could learn the skills to take charge of their own well-being. And I had Dr. Seligman's blessings. So it was, (laughs) yeah. Do you remember the statistic that you were quoting Well, I was actually saying that our happiness is roughly 50% genetic, 10% life circumstances, and 40% in the daily activities that we do every day. Mm. So that's not steadfast. It's kind of, it's, it's a rough estimate, but just knowing and giving people the information that they have that power. Mm. over their lives and of their happiness is an amazing piece of information. Mm. Yeah. So it becomes a a habituation. We can learn ourselves into this and habitually practice. 
Exactly. Mm. Exactly. It's what we do day in, day out that really affects the way we feel. Mm. Yeah. It's like anything, you know, you're developing that muscle to be able to access it and strengthen it. Yes. And we know, um, you know, Rick Hansen's work and his book, Hardwiring Happiness, Mm -hmm. he speaks of creating new neural pathways. We now know that our brains are malleable, right? And that that old saying of you can't teach an old dog new tricks is not true. Yeah. That if you want to, and if you do create these habits, that you can create new neural pathways in your brain and think and act differently. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is to disconnect or unwire those old networks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it, it goes both ways, right? So yeah, unlearning it, and, re- and new learning. Yes, yes. But it also, it kind of happens almost naturally. Like I kind of think of it, not naturally in the sense of you do have to do something, you know, I always say it's, it's a combination of making it happen and letting it happen, right? It's that balance. Mm -hmm. But I almost like to think of it as like, of our minds as like a bucket. Let's just think of that. And it's filled up with, like we're saying, some of those negative emotions or some of the stories that we tell ourselves that we believe, our belief systems. And if we fill that bucket, think of a hose, a clear water into a bucket that's filled with muck, eventually the muck will run out Mm -hmm. and the bucket will be filled with more clear water. And I like to think of increasing our positive emotions by doing certain activities and habits, right? And skills that we learn. And it almost leaves less room for that negativity. It Mm -hmm. just happens when you do the work. Yeah, that's a great metaphor. Thank you. I really like that. Yeah. So what are some of the what are the, some of the things that you're recommending people fill up their bucket with? <laughs> well, so oh there's there's uh six that I actually really really great uh, talk six? about. But yeah, but I I will I hope everyone's got a pen and paper. Oh, and they may yeah. they may uh, be jogging or they may be driving their cars, so they're just going to have to remember these great six things you're going right. to talk about. Well, I think I think I'll start with uh just one. The first one really that I think of is really paying attention to our self-talk, what we tell ourselves every day. Well, science has shown us that we have somewhere between 25 and 50,000 thoughts a day. The majority of them are negative, actually, and 99% of our thoughts the following day are the same. That's a lot of negativity to have rolling around in our heads. Mm -hmm. So we want to become aware of what we tell ourselves and almost treat ourselves as if we are our own best friend, have our backs in situations and shift those negative words to more positive words. And the following habits really do help support that first habit. So the first thing is just becoming aware of what you say to yourself. That's great. So we tend to have this negativity bias that you're referring to if it's 90%, right? Um, That's huge. huge. And then what we tell ourselves and I love to think of and you may touch upon this so I'll say it anyway it's reframing how do you shift from seeing something through this default if it is negativity to reframing it as something different so that's that's, part of the self-talk would you would you say that well yes but Mm -hmm. I think that that's where some of these other tools come in for example gratitude we know that people that actively practice gratitude and looking for the good because we could look for the good 
in our day and in other people and in ourselves, or we could look for the bad, you know, and what's not working. And what you focus on is what you get. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look for the negative, you can find it. You can always find it. But the same thing goes for the, the positive. When you look for the good, you can find that as well. And what I share with my clients and with people and in my presentations and what have you is to really start keeping a gratitude journal. And I say at night, I mean, people can do it when it works for them. And some of the younger people will keep it on their phones in the note section. But to really begin looking for three things every day that they're grateful for and writing them down. And I like to say at night because then it kind of puts you to sleep in that positive mode. Mm-hmm. And writing down three things. Now, they could be that, you, you know, you got a parking spot or you had a delicious strawberry or, or you got a great job. I mean, it can be whatever. But you really begin focusing on the good that's around you. Mm-hmm. You start looking for it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Noticing, right? Yeah. Exactly. Noticing. Mm-hmm. So that's great. What else? <laughs> So, yeah, so gratitude is is really big. And living mindfully, living in the present moment is another tool that is not easy in our very, very busy worlds. And we're also connected. And being able to stop and live in the present moment so that you're not dwelling in the past or worrying about the future, but being right in this moment is amazing also. And it's, again, building that muscle, as we spoke about before, catching yourself when you are going off into a rumination of some story. And we do that again. We're, you know, we're, we just do that. We are wired like that, as spoke about with the negativity bias. But when you catch yourself and come back to the present moment, that story isn't there. It's not there right in that moment. So, and I know, um, Ellen Langer, she's a well-known psychology professor at Harvard and researcher and author of various books on mindfulness. And she describes mindfulness as the simple act of actively noticing things. Beautiful. Hmm. Yeah. That, you know, you said when you started talking about mind being mindful or mindfulness, you mentioned it's difficult. Can it you elaborate is. a little bit on that? You know, why do we think it's, why, or how is it that it's difficult for us to be in the present moment? We can say it, but actually doing it. Have you any suggestions or sure. recommendations around that, Melissa? Sure. So meditation is, is definitely one of the big buzzwords on actually becoming more mindful. But meditation is very hard for a lot of people. Some, I have clients that can't close their eyes even sometimes. So And meditation can be done with eyes open or closed. But I like to start small. And so what I say to people is to sit in stillness for five minutes a day. That's hard even. I mean, but think about it. If we take five minutes every day to just sit in stillness. I remember someone once told me, um, even a cloudy glass of water becomes clear when it's still. Beautiful image. Yeah. So if you think about that, just if, if we could just set aside five minutes every day to just be still and connect with our breath, because our breath is like, it's a natural drug that we have access to 24 seven. 
I mean, you could be in the middle of Grand Central Station in New York City, and it could be buzzing around. Everybody's running, running, running. And if you just kind of connect with your breath, in that moment, it's almost like you are just doing your own meditation, right? You're connecting with your breath. Mm -hmm. And when you focus on that, it almost does, you know, you're thinking and hearing yourself breathe and feeling it. It doesn't allow you to kind of just be in that whirlwind of that's, everything yeah. else. That's fabulous. That really brings it home, that that example in Grand Central Station. Yeah. And you stop to notice your breath. That is such a great example of being in the moment, the present yeah. moment. Yeah. I'm sure I'm, you're familiar with Mike Chicks at Me High's work and Unflow. Oh, Yeah. So that's another, another thing that sometimes people don't necessarily think about is that doing an activity that you really lose yourself in, you lose sense of time, you almost just are so engaged in what you're doing that you're not thinking about anything else. So that could be a musical instrument if you play, or it could be painting, it could be a sports activity, athletes speak about being in the zone, right? It could be baking, whatever it is that you do where you're so engaged. Now, it's also important to remember that it's something where your skill level and the difficulty, the challenge of the activity meet at a perfectly sweet spot. Mm -hmm. So it's not too easy, whereas it just, you do it by rote. And it's not so difficult that you're challenged by it, but it's something that you're totally engaged in. And that's another form of meditation and just connecting in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And walking, walking in nature, yes. I find yes. is, is wonderful. And just noticing, just taking time out to notice what's growing and, and being very attentive to your path. And again, yeah. your breath. Yes. Um, and looking at the sky mm -hmm. and appreciating, like you said, or animals around you or children. Nature, like you said, is so, so big. And I tell some of my, my younger clients that are so busy now with Instagram and Twitter and everything else that they're so out of the moment because they're so busy trying to share the moment, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to sometimes say, okay, I'm going to take the next hour for me. <laughs> that's quite a, that's a sign of a contradiction. So you're being so altruistic and sharing and wanting to collaborate that you're kind of losing sense of yourself. Right. <gasps> that can happen. It can happen. And, and absolutely. So but, but it's not, I'm not saying that that's not a great thing because that is a lot of creativity and a way of sharing yourself and your talents. However, that's where balance comes in, okay? So it's like today I will from 10 to 12 or whatever the timing that you choose or just designate time where it's going to be for you to appreciate your surroundings mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are wonderful strategies. So I think we're up to three or four. You said you had six. Oh. <laughs> um, so I want to go back to the mindfulness because that leads into another. See, all of my six really fit together and they kind of finish that puzzle, if you will. So they're all important for each other. And being present in the moment 
also allows us to build connections with mm. other people. And that is really imperative to our positivity and our health and well-being. Mm-hmm. So we know that, you know, research has shown that that positive connections with other people is very important to our well-being. And when we are not so rushed or so busy in our own heads, but when we're able to connect, as, as you did, Robbie, in your, on your cab rides, right? <laughs> you connect with, with other people. And, you know, just stopping if you're in the supermarket or the cleaners or the person that gets your coffee in the morning, stop and look them in the eyes and say, how are you? Not a, how are you? You know, quick, quick, quick. Or not even, some people don't even say, how are you? They just go through, mm-hmm. you know, but we're all human beings. And when you are present to the moment, you're doing that one thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if you're getting your coffee or you're getting your newspaper or you're getting on, or in the subway, wherever you are, you do that one thing and just that one thing. So what that really allows us to do is to connect with other people. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Barb Fredrickson's work, Love 2.0. Oh, book. beautiful, yeah. Yeah, so what she does is she explains love in a way that we don't typically think of it. You know, we think of love in terms of a relationship with a partner or our children or our friends. But she talks about micro moments mm-hmm. of love mm-hmm. where, we have, where we share a positive emotion with another human being that is love. That's lovely, yeah. Yeah, so again, mm-hmm. that was back to the mindfulness and it brings us into the love, which is another incredible habit to really live, live in love. Mm-hmm. That is really beautiful, yeah. I mean, that is the deepest connection that we can have and I think it just makes us recognize that we're in this together yes and we need each other yes um, and that's that's all about positivity so have you finished with your list or can I ask you how do you how you define positivity uh, or you're not there yet I'm just curious well, that's okay I mean I do have others you know more but I can share one more with you now okay. if you like and and that is really to live in learning mode uh-huh. so What I mean by that is that Winston Churchill has a quote that I love, which is the pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity and the optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in living and learning mode, you're really looking for what you can learn from every situation, whether it's positive or negative. And in negative, you know, in negativity, Think about that. Life is going to give us challenges and we need negativity. Mm-hmm. Keeps us healthy and makes safe choices. Keeps us alive. Yeah. So, but not to use negativity past its usefulness, right? Yeah. So that we actually look at a situation that may have been a negative situation and what can we learn from the situation? So it's really life is a, thinking of life as a classroom in that way. Mm. That's great, Melissa. And there's just one thing I'd like to say also about the value of negativity Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that take, for example, what's happening in our world today Mm -hmm. and historically, a lot of the social movements came out of anger with 
the status quo and people moving away from toxic environments or toxic cultures mm-hmm. or toxic relationships. So very often you can turn that negativity, what's perceived as negative, into a positive mm-hmm. because it propels you to some form of action. Yes. And the it's the momentum to move towards something that is more life generative, a life force, and toward love, I think is is one of the benefits of recognizing that negativity does have positive potential. Yes, absolutely, Robbie. And and with that, that's why I feel that these tools are so helpful for people because it helps them to have that that forward action resilience, your resilience to actually feel strong enough that they can go ahead and do something about it, right? You need to have strength to be able to do that, to withstand the negativity. I totally get that. I think we know we get stronger. Yes. And again, it's building that resiliency capacity that you mentioned. Yes. Whoa. So it's all, we need it all, don't we? I mean, we we are, we're, we're whole people and we need the yin and the yang and the good with the bad, but it's how we choose to deal with it. And I think this whole notion of positivity is filling the bucket, as you say. Yes. And that we have that choice, that we're not stuck. Hmm. So do you want to define positivity for us now? Are you ready? Oh, sure, sure. So I knew that you were going to ask me this question. And I thought good and hard about it. And, um, and this is what I've come up with. So I'm going to read you what I wrote, my definition. Oh, beautiful. I'm ready. Okay. So positivity to me is a learned skill set that you can choose to apply in everyday life. It enables you to extract authentic joy from the littlest to the biggest moments of your day. How wonderful. And it's those little moments. Mm-hmm. Yes. Would you read that again? Sure, sure. So positivity, to me, is a learned skill set that you can choose to apply in everyday life it enables you to extract authentic joy from the littlest to the biggest moments of your day. Yeah. So what strikes me with that, it's, a, it's about choice. Mm-hmm. It's about just every day. It's about our authenticity. Mm-hmm. It's about the little things. Yes. And it's, um, it's, it comes down to, again, what we choose to focus on. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is awesome. You've made some fabulous references here, authors and practices. As most of the listeners will know, that in the show notes that I create to accompany this conversation, we'll have links to those references because I think they're extremely helpful if people want to find out more. And we'll also have links to you. So what's a a good way for people to reach you? Would you like to tell us that now, Melissa? Sure. So I have on my website, my email's on there, and they can just email me from there. www.lifestep, L-I-F-E-S-T-E-P hyphen coach, C-O-A-C-H dot com. And I also have a Lifestep Facebook page where I give tools, tidbits, and takeaways, you know, positivity. Excellent. Mm-hmm. 
And is that called Life Step, the Facebook page too? Yes. yes. So that's Life Step, one word, coaching, second word. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. This has been very rich, very rich in the sense that we have a, I think, a deepened understanding of positivity and you have provided us some very practical steps about how you can bring greater positivity into your life. So that's exceptionally and extraordinarily helpful. Mm. And um, I just wonder, is there something else that you'd like that's come up for you in this conversation that maybe we haven't yet talked about? Not really. Not that I can think of. I feel that we don't want to give too much so that it seems overwhelming. Mm. So I like to say baby steps. Baby steps is the best way to move forward and that it is possible to change the lens through which you see the world. And it's like change your lens and change your life. Yeah. And what, what type of clients are you working with mainly? Who come to you? You know, who's attracted to do this work? I'm curious to know what kind of people are seeking to make these personal shifts or organizational community shifts. So I work mostly with women and the ages range really from 25 to 60, 62 actually is my oldest client at the time. And there are people that really are looking to make some kind of a change or find balance in their lives. Maybe they've raised their kids and now they're not sure how to add more meaning to their everyday. Mm. And really women in transition are the people that I work with right now. Great. Well, I feel like my bucket's been Mm. filled up in this conversation I'm so happy you were able to spend this time and to share your wisdom and your experience with us today and the listeners. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you so much, Robin. It is truly my pleasure. Great. Thank you. I do hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Melissa Schnapp. Remember to go to positivitystrategist.com slash PS8 to find the show notes and links to today's episode. Melissa has just offered us six fabulous strategies to fill our bucket with positivity to begin to flush out the negativity. Our positivity lens activity for this week is finding three things a day that you can be grateful for and write them down. Starting a gratitude journal is something you'll begin to cherish. This is such an important strategy because it begins to habituate you to look for the good in a situation rather than the bad. That then begins to build your resiliency so that you can better withstand negativity when it comes your way. And to provide you with an even greater opportunity to commit to this new habit, I encourage you to actively contribute by sharing your own story. Go to positivitystrategist.com slash voicemail to leave a message about your experience and it's possible I'll incorporate your ideas on the show. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember, what you focus on grows, so grow towards your best.